Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning again here on the 17th of June. This is Mornings with Carmen and Peter Kapsner filling in today and tomorrow yet before Carmen is back in the chair. I know she's having such a good time away. We've been texting back and forth a bit and it just seems to be having a great time at camp and with her family and all of what she's doing. So glad she can get away for the first time in quite some time. And I know we're all looking forward to her being back in the chair again next Monday. Well, lots to cover here in the hour ahead, but before we preview what's up next, I know, Paul Perot, that we had Brandon Showalter on the show this week, earlier in the week, and he joins us regularly from the Christian Post, and he's been doing so much work in some of these top-of-the-mind issues related to sexuality, transgenderism, Mm -hmm. and he referenced a YouTube show that it, that it, I think it was launched last night, correct? It'd be yeah. good to point our listeners back towards that again. Give us some information on this. Right. There's a uh, documentary out by the Center for Bioethics and Cultural and Cultural Network. It's called Transmission. Why or what's the rush to reassign gender? Now, this is something that that uh, Brandon has been very passionate about because he's seeing. He's hearing from parents, and he's talked with a lot of people from a variety of perspectives. It's not just, in, you know, talking amongst ourselves in our little Christian enclave. He's talking to a lot of people who are looking at it medically, endocrinologically. Uh, is that a word? Endocrinology. Yeah, anyway. Yes, right. But anyway, the, the, the problem of rushing, especially young people, into transitioning, or at least what they think they can transition genders, when technically you can't. I mean, it is... It's, down to your chromosomes, who you are, yeah, uh, biologically. So, indeed, I, I appreciate what you just said and what Brandon has been talking about, and it, because this is not just sort of the Christian enclave against something right. else going on in culture, there are plenty of people that would not at all subscribe to the Christian faith that are recognizing the impact and the, and the negative impact this is having on young people. And it's interesting that within God's kingdom, we always discern things by their fruit. And so, we might have an idea or a thought or a proposition about what the kingdom life is meant to be or what constitutes wholeness or shalom in our lives. But if you begin to walk down that path, things can become pretty clear pretty quickly, whether this is wholeness or shalom. And I think we've seen over the last three or four years as a result of this push to have people somehow believe that they can align their sense of their gender with their with their sexual body as well on a physical standpoint, that these things are actually not working really on any level for the vast majority of people. And we're starting to see some backlash, thankfully so, from even the next generation and saying, hey, the, this was uh, this is some false promises that we had here. This isn't working out like everybody mm-hmm. thought. I thought my depression or my anxiety or my suicidal ideation might be resolved if I could just uh, do these kinds of surgeries, and right. it's actually getting worse from there. So continue to pray for our young people, to pray for the people that are in the front lines like Brandon Showalter of this, because this this is having a dramatic impact. I'm sure some of you know people in your own lives that are walking down this journey, and, and it really has having a negative impact in families and in people. So this is a great spot to be praying that as we see the front end of the results of these decisions, that it continues to go that direction and people sort of pull themselves back from that. And we see wholeness coming 
from a different angle the way God created us. Yeah. Real quickly, they did post the uh, the video. It is up right now on YouTube. Right. So Yeah, highly recommend for those of you that want to educate yourselves further on that topic. Well, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we'll be joined by former NFL quarterback Jeff Kemp and his organization called Fatherhood Commission. We'll talk about the importance of fathers as we celebrate Father's Day this weekend. It's a little bit past nine minutes past the top of the hour here, and we are joined at this time by former NFL quarterback Jeff Kemp, who was in the NFL for about 11 years, one of the very few family situations in the NFL as well. He and his dad were both in the NFL. You might know the names Jeff uh, Jeff Kemp from, mm, I don't know, it might be the, the Rams or the 49ers, uh, Seahawks and the Eagles. His dad, Jack Kemp, was in the NFL as well and served as a Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. And Jeff is part of an organization that is the Fatherhood Commission, thought who better to talk to you about fathers than Jeff this morning as we celebrate Father's Day. Good morning. Hey, how you doing? Good to talk to you, Peter. Yeah, you too. Excited for this interview. There's a lot to cover here. I'm just sort of curious, what got you into thinking about um, having a ministry and and having an organization that is really geared towards fathers? Well, I had a great dad. Uh, My dad was one of the all-time encouragers. And so I I think that was a head start on life. My vision um, for playing quarterback in the NFL really came because my dad played. He encouraged me even when I was third string. He'd say, hey, you look good today. I said, dad, I didn't even get in the game. He said, oh, I know. saw you warming up. Saw you warming up. Um, he gave me a lot of vision to persevere. Um, and then when I was in the NFL, I had just begun my relationship with Christ in a serious way. After kind of having some success in college, but finding it empty, I committed myself to follow Christ in, in football. And I really got trained and discipled and taught by some great people and mentors. Uh, we didn't have security in the NFL. You mentioned I was on four teams. We kept getting traded and moved around, got cut uh, a couple times. So that kind of made us sink our roots into identity in Christ. And I used my off seasons uh, to share um, my faith and the gospel with young people and work with some inner city missions and just started studying the culture because my dad was a leader and I wanted to be a leader, make a difference, and saw that most all the problems trace back to the lack of a dad or the breakdown of a marriage or lack of a marriage in a family, and that dads are crucial. So I kind of wanted to go upstream. Uh, I didn't want to run for Congress because I wanted to have more time <laughs> with my own sons than my dad had. Uh, we have four sons. So when I left football, um, I started a nonprofit called Stronger Families, and we focused on fatherhood and marriage. And these days, I focus full time on men and fathering and really helping them you know, get their identity, figure out relationships, understand the centrality of a relationship with the Lord and build some friendships so they can be a team rather than go through life isolated and alone, which is where most guys are. Yeah, Jeff, you you started your ministry not long after we experienced quite a sea change in our country related to families. I know that the divorce rate in around 1900 was a pretty stable rate historically of around 6%, and it was rising a little bit through the 1900s, but all of a sudden in the 1970s, it just exploded through the roof to, to north of 55 56%. At that point. And so I'm assuming that as you sort of started your ministry and you referenced in the off season, 
going to different places and studying sort of the culture that you really did see the impact then maybe some 10, 15 years later of that really big sea change in our country? Well, yes, I saw the impact. And, and more importantly, uh, many kids, uh, many moms who don't have the support of a marriage and a, and a, and a, a dad as they raised their children have felt that. And, you know, so many of us out there today have a, a vacuum in our heart that our dad um, kind of left there, or perhaps a wound, mm. uh, maybe an angry dad, an addicted dad, an, an absent dad, um, a uh, abusive dad, uh, an alcoholic or a PTSD affected dad. Uh, there are positive trends in fathering. There uh, are some research items that show that uh, African-American examples, dads, for example, are, are very engaged with their kids when they are present. Um, but overall, the deficit of fatherhood is probably more damaging than the $3 trillion deficit financially in this country because it hits at the heart and the identity and the hope and the vision. It causes depression. It raises, you know, uh, we don't have to go through the problems, but dropout rates, addictions, depression, suicide, crime, these are all related to not having a dad active in your life. And one out of four kids will go to bed without a biological step or adoptive dad tonight. But when I mention statistics, I just want to make sure, Peter, we remember uh, the facts don't determine the future. Mm. Uh, these aren't definite predictors. You're, you know, it's harder to raise a child uh, or to be a kid without a dad around, but single moms can succeed. Single dads can succeed. Kids can make it. God's a God that deals with broken situations. You can read the Bible, you'll find that out. Uh, but we need to encourage, strengthen, equip, and support dads. Yeah, I, th I appreciate what you said there because I know so many single parents and, and the courage that they have to get up and face the day again that day to walk this whole thing out alone and, and to, to create a better future for their own kids is is really stunning and I think underappreciated. You, you mentioned a couple things that are, that are worth getting into. I think the first one has to do with the idea of why fathers are important to have around and maybe some of the unique characteristics that dads do bring to the table that are important for the kids. I'm sure you learn from your own dad as well from the way it sounds, but in your observations, what are maybe, just from a generalized standpoint, some of the important things that dads bring to the table? Well, dads play a crucial role in helping a child feel like they have an identity and a purpose. Um, dads also play a, a unique role, as research shows, at helping a child step out from their comfort zone and try new things. It's almost like you can look at the way a dad tosses a child in the air <laughs> and the other people kind of, you know, their mouth is agape. That's kind of dangerous. <laughs> well, the dad's helping the child realize that you can take a risk and then you're going to get caught. You're going to be protected. Um, so that's another aspect of dads. Dads help their kids get a view of the world, their role in the world, launching out, trying things. Remember, we're not raising kids uh, to be our kids. We're raising kids to be God's kids, to be their own adults, uh, to launch them to give them their own life. Uh, and dads play a key role in that. But probably the most important is the concept of identity and worth. And that, that is something that ultimately a dad needs to point a child to the heavenly father and say, hey, I'm not perfect. You know, I didn't invent you. 
God invented you. He makes good stuff. He also forgives you and, and Jesus reconciles you. Um, but you get that sense of identity, just like God the Father spoke to Jesus. And he said, you are my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, he told the three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration. Right there, this father gave a son his identity as a son, that he was unconditionally loved. He also gave him approval and pleasure and delight, which is what every daughter and son is dying to hear from their daddy. And finally, you have a place, you're a key ambassador for me. You're my Messiah. Listen to him. So fathers play a key role at giving mission and confidence and approval and delight and identity and unconditional love. And that comes through time, you know, spending time with them, taking an interest in them, um, affirming them. My dad used to say, remember, you can't be a leader. You can't be a leader. That got so grooved into me. And mm. that was part of the role of my dad. Yeah, I love that. I'm sure that you're tapping a nerve for a lot of listeners right now in terms of understanding the importance of fatherhood. Jeff, uh, before we take a short break, where can listeners go to see more of the information and material and equipping resources that you have? Well, that's the point. The Fatherhood Commission is a network of about 120, 150 uh, father strengthening groups. And our website, fatherhood.org, it's, excuse me, uh, fatherhoodcommission.org, fatherhoodcommission.org uh, has connections to all those different types of resources for distant dads, absent dads, military dads, digital uh, groups to meet. So go to fatherhoodcommission.org. Uh, Jeff, when we come back in just a minute, I'd love to investigate a little further what you meant about some of the father wounds we might have, how we can heal from some of those things, and then how we as fathers can grow in, in our fatherhood to do the kinds of things you just described. So more to come with Jeff Kemp next. Stay with us. I can It is, of course, Father's Day this weekend, so we thought we'd take some time here on Mornings with Carmen to talk a little bit about fatherhood. And we invited former NFL quarterback Jeff Kemp into the show with his ministry and his mission, Fatherhood Commission. You can go to fatherhoodcommission.com and find resources in terms dot, of equipping. Dot org. Oh, sorry. .org. I'm sorry. Yes, .org in terms of equipping. Fathers, Jeff, it was funny before the break, and then you and I were chatting during the break about throwing our kids in the air. And one of my favorite homes that we ever lived in had a vaulted ceiling in it. So I could take some of my five kids and really get some height and some distance with them as we chucked them into the air. Sounds like you had some similar experiences. Yeah, I think it's safest in a swimming pool, <laughs> kind of like the net. But uh, I was watching my son throw his uh, little boy Ezekiel up in there the other day. Was, you know, he's going a good four or five feet up in there. And I, I was afraid. And then I thought, wait a minute. When I did this with my four boys, I threw him twice as high. And I bet my wife was really afraid. Um, but uh, you and I were chuckling about I used to throw footballs to Jerry Rice and Steve <laughs> Largent. Man, I should have thrown my kids up in the air to them because they never dropped anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It's amazing. I love that. Well, and there's just something about the adventure and, and a little bit of, of the on-the-edge uncertainty that dads can bring to the table that I think is really important for our kids. Yeah, we, we talked about um, dads play a key role in affirming identity and worth, your place in the world, helping you kind of step out, try new things, uh, tackle a challenge, take some risks, uh, branch out from your little comfort zone. Uh, that's crucial. Uh, and that, uh, many researchers are, are showing that young people today have a caution from being raised with too much perfection and protection. Um, and dads need to really step in and help with that. But, you know, moms benefit a lot. 
Um, the research shows that involved dads reduce the stress on moms. Uh, it causes boys to get in trouble less often. Girls get sexually active and get pregnant less often. The bullying in schools and classrooms reduces when they bring dads to mingle in the school. And, and academics and getting A's uh, rises when there's involved dads. So there are many positives. And these aren't positives that can happen on Father's Day alone. They're 365. They're 365, 24-7. That's the job of being a dad. Yeah, I, I appreciate that you said that, too, because we might be turning our attention to it this weekend, but it is a 365-7 kind of job. And you, you're talking a little bit about the sort of the fear almost that we have to be perfect in all things. And I'm assuming during your 11 years in the NFL that you maybe failed from time to time in that. And, and failure is something that is so important as a teacher, and that's where dads can come around to both be honest about the failure but also to assure that this is how we grow. Uh, Peter, that's a great point. I'm glad you kind of brought it up because what you, you just got to is the fact that we are broken and flawed human beings. And every dad is a broken and flawed guy that didn't live up to some of his own expectations. Maybe his own dad didn't father well. He doesn't have a blueprint. He hasn't seen it done and he doesn't feel like he's been doing it that well. He might even disqualify himself. Okay. And I'm, I'm here to say, you're here to say, dad, you matter. Your past doesn't dictate your future. No one is disqualified when Jesus Christ is in the equation, okay? This heavenly father that jumped off the porch to welcome the prodigal son home mm. and even was gracious to the legalistic, stuffy, proud older brother, that's our father in heaven, and he will redeem us, turn us around, and we can have a good future even if we had a bad past. But I think it comes back to one word, humility. Mm. Yeah. Pride was the beginning of everything bad. It divides. Humility heals and unites. And dads, if you'll simply apologize and humble yourself, you won't believe how much ground that will cover to improve the relationship and let you start going forward kind of in a new vein with your kids. Yeah, what an important point, Jeff. I think uh, the kingdom is so often operating on upside-down principles, and, and we, we wor use words like humility and apologies, and we, and we think that they're places of weakness. And, and in many circles, including businesses or, or the NFL or a lot of other places, those would be weak. But in, in the economy of the kingdom, there is great strength and humility in what that represents for our kids. Yeah, good to great. The, the book by Jim Collins talked about level five leaders, the greatest leaders that have made the biggest difference uh, in their companies. They are humble as the key component. They're disciplined, focused, stay on task, but they're humble. Uh, Jesus, the greatest leader ever, didn't come to be served, but to serve. And Paul keeps talking about, in my weakness, I am strong. In my weakness, I am strong. So you had a choice. You can be proud and arrogant and stand on your own two feet and never ask for help, never talk to another dad, never get a mentor, don't apologize to your wife or kids, and you'll be operating in your strength. How much strength is that, honestly, compared to being humble, asking God for help, admitting you have weaknesses, getting some help from a team and some, from some other dads and a mentor, maybe reading a book on fatherhood, doing a video, um, and gaining God's strength. And that's what comes when we apologize, when we admit our need, when we show that we're real. It makes us stronger, and it also helps our kids see us in a better light because they need to know we're imperfect and approachable. They will never tell you they're struggling with porn or they're being bullied if they think you were perfect and never had a problem and you never admit weakness or faults. So apology is a strength. Humility and admit telling silly stories about ourselves and when we messed up and when we were teens, that, I think, is our strongest card 
in, in fathering kids. Yeah, so important. That builds trust with our kids so much, too, because then they're, they're more apt to listen to us when we are bringing advice, thought, encouragement to the table because they, they can trust us to be humble and apologetic in, in the other moments. Jeff, remind our listeners one more time where they can go if they want to be just more equipped and, and maybe learn a bit more about what it means to be a, an active kingdom father moving forward. Well, it's, it's more specific than that. They can tap into amazing resources, um, digital resources, resources for uh, schools and programs at schools like All Pro Dad. Uh, there's ones for fatherless kids to be mentored by the other guys in the church and all that, uh, those hundred something groups, uh, you can find them. Uh, we call them champions at uh, fatherhoodcommission.org fatherhoodcommission.org and, and we're sponsoring a Kendrick Brothers movie that Sony is releasing on September 10th called Show Me the Father which is going to be an amazing story about two NFL guys one a coach and mentor another one a player who turned into a coach and they ended up with a great family as did that coach and they actually find out something shocking that they went through life not knowing they were father son until uh, the son was 37 years old and uh, the father, Sherman Smith, had actually been mentoring this guy who thought he had no dad for 18 years before he searched for his birth mom and found his birth mom and asked about his birth dad. And it turned out to be Sherman Smith, a fellow Seahawk mm. of mine that I know, an amazing man of God, uh, two African-American men, both of them with super strong, committed, lifelong marriages, raising kids, being good dads and correcting and healing a father absent situation which just shows the heart of our heavenly father so fatherhood commission.org you'll find information about show me the father coming out and also all the groups and jeff thanks so much for joining us this morning and the work that you're doing on behalf of fathers have a great father's day yourself moving forward uh, uh, great father's day and thank you keep going to all you dads we'll take a short break some bottom of the hour news and we will preview what's coming up on the last part of mornings without carmen so fun to talk to Jeff about fatherhood and again that place that you can go to get some resources and be equipped and lots of uh, really interesting information coming from there is fatherhoodcommission.org and Becky wrote in Jeff and I were talking about throwing our kids up in the air and Becky just texted the studio said my husband and son play quote toss the pizza in our pool tossing our grand boys between grandpa Pat and uncle Ben is a favorite that is a favorite indeed I can just hear them squealing as they're going through the air and the pool is definitely a good place to make Maybe miss every once in a while so they go under the water thanks for that becky up next year we'll be joined by courtney resig we'll talk a little bit about what it means to learn to feel again this is max Lucado. the faith-filled prayer is a prayer of admonishment the prayer of faith invites god to be god to be sovereign over a tumultuous time dennis mcdonald models this type of admonishment he was our church's hospital chaplain for many years I was always struck by the transformation that came over him as he began to minister. When he entered the hospital room, he went straight to work. He would anoint the sick person with oil and pray, Lord, this is your servant, whom you love and whom we love. Let your healing happen in this room. Satan, you must leave. You're a liar and your words have no merit. This child is bought by God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is the job of the church to take struggling followers and lead them back to the path of faith. This is Max Lucado, and this is How Happiness Happens.
So July 16th and 17th, we are hosting the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference here at the University of Northwestern St. Paul with KTS Radio, Faith Radio, all together hosting what has become an annual conference. It's a great place to come if you are a writer of any kind. You certainly do not have to even be an aspiring author to come and learn more about the craft of writing. Again, it's July 16th. And 17th, Paul, I assume there's a place on the website that they can go and just sign up for the conference. Highly recommended here. Yes, just go to NorthwesternChristianWritersConference.com. All the information is on that special website. Love it. And one of the authors that's going to be joining us for that weekend, we're going to welcome into the show now. It's Courtney Reisick, who wrote a book called Teach Me to Feel. We'll talk about that book in just a minute, but good morning, Courtney. Good morning. So glad that you're going to be joining us for the conference coming up. I know some of the different authors are bringing different angles to the conference to help people learn how to write, communicate, and just be part of whatever passion they have in that area. What kind of angle are you bringing to the conference? Yeah, I'm uh, really honored to be a part of it. I actually graduated from Northwestern, and so uh, I just to be able to be back and uh, speaking there, I'm just really excited about. And um, I'm going to be talking about writing as worship. Um, and particularly kind of taking the angle of like how we, um, how our writing work brings glory to God and how all of our work that we do is, is an act of worship. And then sometimes what, what are some of those thorns and thistles that come into and hinder our ability to worship the Lord in our work as writers? So that's the angle I'm going to be taking. Yeah. I would love to just, for you to say a little bit more about just that piece of it, those thorns and thistles, right? I think they come yeah. into any of our work that, that we might do, but what have you experienced specifically as a writer in terms of those thorns? Oh, well, so many. Um, one of the things I think that, uh, I mean, all writers could probably relate to is that the um, writer's block, right? You're, standing, you're sitting in front of a, a blank screen and you know you have a deadline and you just need to write. And I think sometimes, particularly as writers, because it's such a creative um, a creative type of work and any type of creative, I think um, we want to feel like we're, um, we want to feel the the piece or the the article or the book or whatever before we write it and so sometimes we have a deadline and we just have to do it and we the um the difficulty that comes with putting words to a page doesn't mean that the work we're doing is bad it just means that sometimes we live in a broken world and so whether we didn't get enough sleep last night or um we uh, have things on our mind or the words just aren't coming to us uh, that is part of living in a broken world. Doesn't mean the work isn't good. It just means that we're not always going to have the creative juices flowing. But that doesn't mean we don't press forward and continue to do the work set before us. And so writers have, I think, sometimes uh, if you don't feel like doing the work, you maybe want to step away from it. But uh, I think that sometimes the best work comes when you push forward and push through those thorns and thistles and allow the Lord to work through you in your writing and in your work and know that he's the one who's establishing the work of your hands. I love it. I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with the thorn that is the deadline in any part of life. I, I certainly remember <laughs> writing a sermon one Saturday afternoon, try to be done with sermons for a Sunday morning by, by maybe Thursday or Friday or Saturday afternoon, complete block on anything related to the sacrificial system in Leviticus. Not, that, that'd be a commonplace for a block perhaps, but I remember being reduced down to just hoping for the rapture that night because I had nothing for, for the next day. So I, great, great opportunity again, if you're a writer, any walk of life, actually, to come and be a part of this Writers' Conference on July 16th or 17th. Courtney, let's get into your book a little bit here, too. I know you released yeah. it just prior to the pandemic called Teach Me to Feel. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little confused here because I didn't think that emotions and feelings were part of God's kingdom. Are we supposed to suppress those? No, no, we're not. So we are 
created in the image of God. And as his image bearers, we are also created to feel. And the, the I think sometimes we we have this as Christians, we either, uh, and just as humans, we either, uh, we fall in one of two camps. We either give full vent to our feelings and allow our feelings to rule us. Or we say feelings are not a part of God's plan or not a part of what it means to be a um, a strong human being. And so we suppress those feelings. And so for the believer, the the right response to our emotions is to have those feelings shaped by the word of God. And what the Teach Me to Feel does is take us through the Psalms and show us how the Psalms actually harness our emotions and shape our emotions by God's word, allowing us to feel the world deeply and rightly, but according to God's plan and God's purposes. Courtney, I think you said something incredibly important there, and I want to get into some of the chapters in the uh, the book in just a moment, but that idea of rather than suppress our feelings or suppress our emotions, that we seek like anything else to bring them in alignment with God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, God demonstrates emotion all throughout the biblical text. This is not mm-hmm. about not having emotion, right? This is about having our emotions that are reacting and responding in a way consistent with the kingdom. Right. Yes. And one of the things that, uh, that the Psalms particularly do is they saw Psalm one, the Psalms began with Psalm one and Psalm one um, is talking not about feelings, but is talking about the word of God. And so the blessed man, the blessed woman is the one who meditates on God's word day and night. And you need that foundation in order to rightly think about all the realities of living in this world. So whether you're um, in Psalm three, where David's fleeing from his son and feeling the deep anguish of fleeing from his son who's turned against him, um, or you're in Psalm one forty five, where you're praising the Lord for all that He's done. And so I think that we have the Psalm one begins with the word, because while we meditate on God's word day and night, we are deeply rooted in Him, and we respond rightly to the myriad of experiences we have in this life. Yeah, one more question before, again, we get into the weeds a little bit more in the Psalms, because there's just so many good chapters that are worth paying attention to in this book. Again, if you're listening this morning, the book is Teach Me to Feel. And for those of us that maybe have felt like emotions and feelings can be unreliable and we've sought to suppress them, I really recommend picking up this book as a way of reordering that very idea and bringing our emotions into alignment with the kingdom. I'm curious for you, Courtney, uh, there's this little phrase as part of the introduction of your book, Meditations in a Hospital Bed. Tell our listeners a little bit more about what happened here. Yeah, so four years ago, uh, my I was pregnant with my fourth son, so my last son, and I had uh, a placenta abruption, so it's a mm. pregnancy complication that put me, it was a partial abruption, so I was in the hospital for uh, for a month, and I used to think hospital bed rest was really nice, and you got to kind of sit around and watch TV, and people brought you stuff, but I had never had hospital bed rest prior to that, and hospital bed rest when you have a life-threatening complication is actually really stressful because I was hooked up to monitors all the time. Um, people were in and out of my room um, all the time, and I, I couldn't focus my thoughts. I couldn't focus anything, and I was uh, stressed from being away from my other children, stressed that my son wasn't going to live, stressed that maybe I wasn't going to live, and I found such a deep comfort in the Psalms. I found familiar friends in the Psalms, people who had also walked through the deep valleys. Um, but I also, most importantly, I found a God who was there and a God who uh, wasn't leaving me and was giving me not only language for my, my emotions, but language for his character and helping me understand who he was. And the Psalms really helps me see that God has left no stone unturned when it comes to living in this world. And so he's given us narrative and helping us understand story. And he's given us uh, poetry and helping us um, 
harness our emotions rightly. And so I found that I had prayers to pray back to him in my anguish and in my fear and my anxiety. And so that's really where the the heart behind the book came from is that the Psalms deeply ministered to me in suffering. And I hope that I my prayers that they would minister to others as well. Yeah, I, I just, I love the approach you're taking here. I think there's an opportunity for us as believers to not just sort of theologically convince ourselves of certain truths when we're in the midst of pain, anguish, and suffering, but take all of that into the God who also has pain and anguish and suffering in, in the midst of a broken and fallen world. Let's take a short break, Courtney, when we come back, get into some of those Psalms as well, because we can talk about feeling forsaken or in pain, feeling grief, envy, all of these things are all there within the familiar characters of the Psalms. Now We are chatting with author Courtney Reisick this morning and her book, Teach Me to Feel. She's also part of the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference that's coming up here on July 16th and 17th. Recommend signing up. Opportunity to interact with authors and writers about many different things within God's kingdom. And Courtney, in this book, before the break, we were talking a little bit about God's intersecting with our lives in various ways in the Psalms. And chapter five has my attention in terms of feeling forsaken and and it's sort of the precursor to Jesus quoting these very words from Psalm 22 on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think we all go through seasons of life where things are tough and God seems to be far away and our, and our spirit is maybe a bit arid and, and dry and, and we can sympathize with being the dry bones of Ezekiel, right? And, the, and that forsakenness kind of take us into that chapter. And what did you learn in that and encouragement for our listeners? Yeah, one of the most encouraging things I found in studying Psalm 22 was that um, there's a psalm scholar who says that we don't know. Sometimes we think of the psalms in really um, formulaic terms where um, you you cry out to the Lord and then you have this resolution of trust. And then that's that's supposed to happen just in your in your own prayer time. Like you pray out and cry out to the Lord and then you somehow trust at the end. And he says what we don't understand is that sometimes we don't know if some of these psalms were written like half of it was written in November and the other half was written in May. So that that, <laughs> that um, it, it was a process for some of them. And what I love about Psalm 22 is that right in the middle of Psalm 22, this David is crying out to the Lord and asking him for help. And he does feel forsaken. He says, why have you forsaken me? And then right in the middle, he says, you answered me. And then he goes into this, this um, resolution of trust at the end. And what I love about that is that there are times where you can look back and say, you answered me. Lord, you answered me. Like I'm, I'm in the midst of praying, or I'm in the midst of the situation. I'm crying out to you, and you answered me. And you, and then he documents it, and then he talks about all of how he responds to God um, answering him in his forsakenness. And I, I just loved how, um, just right smack dab in the middle of that psalm, uh, David records that God answered his prayer. Uh, because not all the psalms end that way. Psalm 88 has no resolution, mm. and so I think that. Um, especially even putting these two, those two Psalms side by side, you see that there are times in our life where we pray and we don't get the answer. And there's times in our life where we pray and we do. And with Psalm 22 in particular, um, in Christ, um, he has not forsaken us. And in Christ, we will never be forsaken. And because Christ took all of that forsakenness for us. And so the, for the Christian, uh, even the feelings of forsakenness are not accurate 
um, depictions of reality because uh, we live this side of the cross. And we know that when Jesus cried out to the Lord, to his heavenly father on the cross, um, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He truly was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken. And um, those are the things we have to come back to when we feel forsaken, because um, those feelings can be um, overwhelming and our eyes can't always see what's actually true of us in the moment. And I think that's so important, the difference between feeling forsaken and actually being mm-hmm. forsaken, because right, I, I am right. yeah, very familiar with the feeling of it, but I find that God is still at work in some mysterious ways. And sometimes, right. Courtney, when I'm feeling forsaken and, and there's a season, God is saying, you know, we're going to winnow some things out in your life a little bit here, Capsner. Right. You maybe have some idols you're following or whatever it is. It, it does have that winnowing effect. Oh, it does. And um, I, so much of my own Christian life has been having to remind myself of what I know to be true versus what I feel in the moment. And that's where we have to have our feelings harnessed by the word of God, because our feelings can lie to us. Uh, because we're we're broken and fallen people doesn't mean we don't have those feelings and doesn't mean we don't express them, but they they are not always telling the truth. And I think that that's um, an important distinction as well. Yeah, you write about feeling anxious from Psalm 131. I know anxiety is not really much part of anybody's lives these days with, with global pandemics right, and right, all right, the uncertainty right, yeah. and everything. So tell us about a little bit what you learned here. Oh, yeah. And so in Psalm, um, so actually Psalm 13 with anxiety and in Psalm 13, um, the, the psalmist is, uh, this Psalm begins with just, just immediately gets right to the point. And the psalmist there begins with um, expressing um, his honest emotions. He makes bold requests to the Lord, um, and he um, and then he trusts in what he knows to be true, even if he doesn't feel it in the moment. And that's a helpful um, directive to us when we are feeling not dealing with like clinical anxiety, which is I think different than mm-hmm. just. Um, like that, that I think would require some medical professional help. Um, but like the, the fear and anxiety over, yeah, like COVID or, um, this, the, the unrest in the world and in our, in our society, um, when we, we make bold requests and then we ask honest questions. So the psalmist is not afraid to say how long, oh Lord. And I, I think sometimes when we we want to sound like we trust God. And so we're afraid to say what's already inside of us. We want to know how long until you deliver us, how long until you bring justice in the world, how long until you do all these things, how long to answer my prayer. And so we ask those honest questions of the Lord and we make bold requests based on his character. And at the end of the day, we do have to trust in what he says he will do, um, even if we haven't gotten that answer yet. I love it. Courtney, thanks so much for this. I know there's probably a lot of people listening that have not necessarily known what to do with their emotions or their feelings and, again, feel like they might have to suppress them or shoo them away as unreliable. But your book just so invites us to enter into the fullness of them with a very emotional God as well. Emotions aren't bad. They are indicators of things going on in our lives, and they can be brought in alignment with the kingdom. So thanks for the great work you're doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, love the conversation. The book, again, is Teach Me to Feel. And if you want to work into a category of kingdom life that we don't often talk about, and that is the place of feeling and emotions, a really helpful and, again, responsible book and, and look at this. And you can also... Go back to the website, myfaithreader.com, and sign up for the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference happening on July 16th and 17th. Courtney and many other authors will be there, and it's a great place to interact with them. We'll step away for just a moment and come back and wrap up our show here for the 17th of June.
You know, Paul, there are shows and then there are shows. shows today yeah. today was the latter of the two. I'm not even sure how to categorize that. But, boy, if you missed any of the show today, you can go back to MyFaithRadio.com. And it's worthwhile listening to any of the segments. Ben Johnson does such a great job, of course, taking us into the world of politics, economics, different social issues in our country from a kingdom standpoint. Dr. Michael Heiser walked through the realm of the supernatural with us. Mm -hmm. A bit heady, a bit tough, but really important. A lot of listener feedback on that, wanting those books, and understandably so. And then, of course, talking fatherhood with Jeff Kemp and had some fun talking off the air with him about his life as an NFL quarterback as well. And Courtney was delightful in terms of just Mm -hmm. bringing some real healthy, truthful perspective into our emotions and feelings. So another great show. I sure like being with all of you as the listeners as we get up and start our days these ways and and i know you probably have a lot ahead of you on the schedule for today a lot of things that you're uncertain about and maybe certain about and there'll be unexpected things that happen there'll be expected things that happen it's just part of life in this very uncertain world and so thanks for joining us to start your day this way here on faith radio where we can get up and unabashedly and unashamedly proclaim that the kingdom of god is real there is a king of an eternal kingdom his name is jesus and he is worth following with our whole heart have a great day everybody and we'll catch you tomorrow morning Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.